The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. Our guest today is Alka Patel, who is the head of AI ethics policy at the Department of Defense Joint AI Center, the Jake. Hi, Alka. Thank you so much for joining us on AI Today. Hi, Ron. Hi, Kathleen. So nice to be here with you all. Um, really appreciate the invite. Um, and just want to, before we get started, just give you both a shout out for all the incredible work that you're doing. So appreciate uh, you bringing uh, the topic of AI, bringing diverse folks together um, and really uh, advancing the conversation. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for that shout out. And we're very excited to have you join us here today on the AI Today podcast. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners, tell them a little bit about your background and maybe what the Jake is for people that don't know, and then your role there. Sure, happy to. Um, So uh, as Ron said, uh, I am the head of AI ethics policy. Uh, When I come to this role, or actually in in this position, I'm really looking at uh, my role from a technical, legal, and corporate governance lens. Um, I've worked both in the private sector as well as academia. And uh, so I I will say I'm fairly new to the government, I, although I guess it's been about 10 months, uh, as well as new to the DOD for sure. Um, I started out, uh, just to, to give a little bit more background, I started out as a process engineer uh, and then uh, went on to get my, my law and business, my MBA degrees. And of course, you know, the first thing everyone says is, well, you're an engineer and you're a lawyer now, go be a patent attorney. And a uh, in true form, I did. <laughs> I uh, was in private practice for about 10 years where I uh, started out at a boutique IP firm and then uh, moved on to a general practice firm and really focused on intellectual property law um, and then realized that my love was more on the transactional side and the business side and thinking about uh, the impact of IP on um, uh, M&A deals, uh, working with uh, VCs doing uh, due diligence, IP audits, working on licensing software deals, uh, and and had sort of a variety of clients from like Fortune 500 companies to, to startups to universities in and outside the U.S. So um, did that for about 10 years, and then I transitioned to a uh, global financial institution where I was in the legal department supporting one of their business lines, and during my tenure there really had a chance to lean in and learn and see how corporate governance is structured, how it works, who's involved uh, from various different areas, from risk to legal to audit to compliance. And it was right at the time uh, after Dodd-Frank had come down. And so all these regulatory changes and requirements were being put onto these financial institutions. And so it was really uh, interesting, insightful, and a a great learning experience to see how organizations uh, really uh, took on and and uh, created new processes and governance structures to, to address regulatory requirements. And then uh, most recently, I was at Carnegie Mellon University, and in my tenure there, I led the startup of a corporate academic research innovation center that was sponsored by a consulting company. And uh, we focused on research projects to solve real business problems, and uh, they were focused in the area of AI, data analytics, cybersecurity and privacy. And it was at that point where I think um, the engineer and me came back out and really got involved in, in the technology aspects of learning 
uh, and being thrust into the world of AI and AI ethics. Uh, and, and it wasn't necessarily just from the, the lens of academia, but also thinking about the, uh, working with startup, the startup community and really trying to have these conversations around AI ethics. Uh, at the very beginning um, to get companies to think about this as they build out from the ground level uh, how to embed and consider processes and practices and, and um, necessary structures uh, at the beginning rather than, at, at, you know, maybe a couple years down the line when it may be a little bit harder to, to modify or change. And that brings me to the Jake. So uh, the Jake was stood up about two years ago with the objective of adopting and scaling AI across the DOD. Uh, and I can't really talk about my role at the Jake without first talking about the leadership at the Jake and uh, really have to give credit and kudos to General Shanahan, who had the foresight and the vision to create this role. Uh, he's been a vocal advocate, and I'm sure you've all heard him, but he's been a vocal advocate in really uh, advancing the awareness, the attention to this topic of AI ethics. and. Um, while there's definitely a focus on, on the philosophical aspects around the ethical uses and the moral considerations around AI applications, which is really important, uh, his intent with this role and the goal for the role was to, to make it focus on applied ethics in terms of how do we actually put this into practice? How do we uh, think about processes and practices that uh, can be embedded into an organization or an enterprise? And uh, that sentiment was continued with our acting director, Nan Molchandani, who was there this summer, and uh, even more so with our new director, uh, General Groen, Lieutenant General Groen, who is in the seat right now. And I'm really excited about the energy and the passion that he's bringing uh, to the Jake and, and, again, continuing the advocacy around the topic of AI as it's been and more broadly responsible AI. And I'll share that, um, you know, his vision is really to transform the DOD through the integration of AI. And, and when we talk about the integration of AI and, and AI capabilities for the DOD, uh, he, he doesn't talk about it without talking hand-in-hand hand about the ethical grounding that is necessary and required. And just as background, um, you, you may be aware, but in February of this year, the DOD adopted uh, AI ethical principles, and we're the first military to do so. And my role is really focused on taking those principles and uh, putting them into practice. How do we implement those uh, at an enterprise-wide level? And so how do we think about practices? How do we think about policies? What kind of guidance? What kind of recommendations do we really need to, to put in play to uh, bring those principles to life? So uh, that's a little bit of, of background and hopefully uh, provides a little perspective or a lens into, into uh, my focus in this role. Yeah, that was great. Thank you for that. And I know that you have a very, you know, diverse background and most of it is actually not working in a government setting. So what brought you to the Jake? Uh, so it's it's interesting. Um, I, I'll say there's a number of different reasons, but I think um, obviously if I take it from a professional perspective, right, the career trajectory was not necessarily a linear one for sure, um, and I'm not sure that I had a plan in place. But uh, while I was at CMU, I really found that the conversation around AI and AI ethics um, really hit home with me. And sort of fit, it, it, it kind of fit both sides of my brain, if that makes sense. So the engineering technical side of me loved uh, getting into the technical aspects. 
Um, well, I'm not a computer scientist, right? I'm not, uh, you know, I coded way back in the day, but um, definitely not very deep in the technical aspects, but enough to understand what's going on. And then the other side of my brain, um, in sort of the legal advocacy part, thinking about the ethics aspects and um, really advocating uh, for um, the right thing in the right manner as it relates to this technology. And so I think it, when I when I saw the position posting, uh, both sides of my brain were like, yes, let's, let's, let's jump on that, because that was really um, what I, I realized was my interest area. And then I would say secondarily, um, and probably the most important too, I, I would say is the mission. Um, the mission of the DOD, uh, the mission of working in government, uh, really speaks to me. And um, I don't think I was aware of that and, and uh, really had an appreciation for that uh, as I was going through through my professional career. And so um, I was at that point in, in my life where, where it was looking for meaning and meaningful and impactful uh, ways that I could contribute. And this role and the mission of the DOD in terms of national security and uh, the the brave and courageous uh, servicemen and women who are out there defending our liberties and protecting us on a daily basis um, really provides no greater mission than for me to be able to, to, to contribute. And so it's actually a privilege and honor for me to even be in this role and in the position and be part of uh, something so big. Well, that's great. Well, well, that that's 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 you know a good thing because we know that you know the government in general has to keep up to date with not only the latest technologies but has to compete for talent uh, to to keep all of these uh, systems working well and being modern and you know not you know the the, the world continues to evolve and I, I think you know having great folks like yourself who who are sort of at the forefront of technology and have experience beyond and outside the government and bring that into the government, I think, is really highly uh, valuable, and so I think it's great to hear that that you've you not only were were had an opportunity to participate, but of course participating so enthusiastically. So, um, so asking a little bit more about specifics around what the DoD is doing, especially around this area of ethics, and you know, I know may, maybe it may seem obvious to our listeners here, but it is worth asking the question. You know, why is it important to the Department of Defense to be addressing the topics of ethics? transparency and ethics policy, you know, especially given that the DOD doesn't necessarily address those issues for other things, you know, but it is definitely doing that for AI. So maybe you can provide a little bit of visibility into, into some of that. Sure, happy to. Um, so let me preface my comments by saying that I think um, AI ethics and this conversation around ethics and responsible AI is one that is important, uh, not just for the DOD, but for everyone, right? So regardless of industry sector, regardless of organization type, uh, anyone that's touching AI that, that is involved with the design or development or, or using AI um, should be aware of uh, the implications, should be aware of the ethics aspects, um, and uh, should be escalating and advancing that conversation and dialogue uh, within the organization as an imperative and a priority. So, so I, I say that um, as, as, as sort of um, a prelude uh, to my next comments. Um, the other piece I'll just mention as well is that I think that um, regardless of where you work or or or, um, or uh, what industry or sector, uh, I think we as individuals, we as employees, we we as a society have a moral duty to become responsible AI stewards. Uh, and so I think 
um, just from that construct alone, I, I wanted to kind of lay that groundwork for, for, for the next part of, of my comments. But um, when I think about, when I take it a step down to the DOD, uh, I, and I'll address for a moment that um, just thinking about why AI is important for the DOD, uh, and I've kind of alluded to it in terms of sort of the mission of the organization, but AI frankly, is sort of that transforming, enabling uh, technology that really provides the opportunity to, one, strengthen national security, and two, allow for mission effectiveness. So, for example, technology can help uh, increase situational awareness, which could then in turn act to decrease response times and and, and uh, response times for force protection or, or also to minimize unintended casualties. So, um, that is why AI is, is sort of a critical aspect of this. And when we move into the conversation around AI ethics, I want to also be clear that ethics is not new to the DOD, right? There's a strong culture grounded in ethics, responsibility, accountability uh, at the DOD. And the principles, the AI ethics principles that were adopted in February are founded on that history, right? So they are founded on that history and then that culture and also on existing ethical and legal frameworks within the department. And so whether it's the law of armed conflict, whether it's the, the humanitarian laws, whether it's uh, existing weapon review uh, processes and so forth, there's already an existing framework that on which the AI ethics principles build on. So it's not like um, this is an outlier for us as, at the DOD to be sort of talking about AI ethics. It's just a continuation of our already uh, grounded focus on, on um, ethics. And I will say, too, the principles uh, didn't necessarily just happen overnight. Uh, they were two years in the making. And so when we go back to 2018 with the National Defense Strategy, uh, to which the DOD AI strategy was an annex to, um, one of the pillars of the DOD AI strategy is leading in military ethics and safety. And so we've been talking about this for two years. The Defense Innovation Board has been an extremely critical uh, organization in putting forth the recommendations, which laid the foundation for um, what later became and was adopted as part of the, the DOD AI ethics principles. So it's been a two-year process. It was grounded in existing uh, uh, frameworks. And so, again, just um, reiterating that, that this isn't something new. Um, in terms of caring about AI ethics, I'll, I'll kind of frame it in sort of two lenses, and I think you've already alluded to one of them. Um, but the first one is that as we're thinking about creating these technologies and, and using these technologies, we want to ensure that when we, um, when our servicemen and women are given a technology to use, that they can trust it. Um, and trust it whether it's for a back office operation or a logistical type of operation versus uh, an operation on the battlefield. Uh, so the principles themselves engender uh, the trust that we're trying to achieve so that our, our uh, workforce can actually use the technology. And so whether we're talking about um, principles and practices around uh, uh, looking for data bias, ensuring that they're fail-safe uh, built into the, into the technology, uh, ensuring that there is safety and security uh, protocols around the technology, thinking about documentation requirements, thinking about traceability and training, all of that uh, speaks to uh, embedding and integrating the values that are expected from a technical aspect um, and are required for, for processes and practices for, for the design, the development, deployment, and use, which then allows our workforce to actually trust the technology. 
Um, and I, I want to say that we can't necessarily just talk about AI in isolation. Uh, there's a number of different uh, interde- interdependencies. So not just from the technical lens, but highlighting again, thinking about through a training uh, training or education awareness perspective, thinking about from a resourcing perspective, financial or human capital perspective. And I think for, for those efforts, uh, the comment about transparency um, speaks to that. Uh, and I'll share too on the second, the second reason I, I'll highlight in terms of why we care about AI ethics is the one that you alluded to, Ron, in terms of um, attracting the best and the brightest, right? For us to continue our competitive advantage uh, as the DOD, as, as the U.S., um, we need to be able to attract the, the best and brightest, and we need to uh, bring them into the government uh, to retain uh, our competitive advantage to, to really think through how we defend our national security. And so I think having these principles, talking about AI ethics, building that trust, being transparent, uh, really speaks to, to engendering trust at the public level. Um, I will share, as I've already alluded to, being new to government, I, I will admit um, I will be really humble here for a second and admit that um, I wasn't as aware or in tune with how technology was um, being uh, talked about, how it was going to be leveraged as a strategic, strategic advantage, how it could be utilized to accomplish missions until I actually got in the seat and had conversations and uh, spent time learning and becoming aware of, of how this really works within government and what it means. And I think on the outside, there could be sort of um, this opportunity for, for, for perceptions that may not necessarily um, be accurate. And so I think it, as we talk about these principles and as we try to put them into practice, uh, a goal of being transparent and doing a better job of communicating uh, how we're thinking about designing and developing and using these technologies is really critical to, again, uh, the public trust aspect, which then leads into how we can attract the, the best and brightest. Yeah, that's great. It seems like you guys are really, really thinking about that and having intelligent, thoughtful conversations, which I'm sure everybody is always wants to hear that, right? You know, make sure that you're always taking an ethical approach. Um, at Cognolytica, we published a worldwide AI laws and regulations report back at the beginning of 2020, and we'll be updating that report in early 2021 as well, because laws and regulations continue to change, and so we want to make sure that the report continues to stay updated and relevant. But in that report, we discuss how countries all over the world, from Afghanistan to Zimbabwe, are approaching and regulating artificial intelligence. So how do regulations and worldwide laws impact the use of artificial intelligence? Um, great question. Uh, so I want to acknowledge, first of all, that um, the effort that must have gone into that report and perhaps the length of the report is a telling sign of how complex uh, the legal and regulatory landscape around AI uh, globally uh, is so um, can completely appreciate that. I, I will touch on actually one of the findings in the report uh, that was highlighted in terms of uh, most governments uh, are waiting to adopt a wait and see, or I should say, most governments are adopting a wait and see approach to laws and regulations on AI. And um, in response to that finding, I guess my first reaction is that we don't have the benefit 
of time to wait and see. Uh, in my mind, time is time is of the essence. As each day goes by, uh, there are AI products that are being developed, uh, that are being deployed, that are being sold, that are being shared. And um, I, I believe that the requisite understanding and the documentation uh, when we talk about traceability and so forth around that technology just isn't there yet. And so um, the fidelity of each piece of that technology is is being comprised is being compromised. And so I think uh, to me, time is is definitely of the essence. Having said that, uh, when we think about laws and regulations, uh, especially for AI, I do believe that they have to be crafted in a manner that really takes a holistic systems approach. And that's not necessarily easy. Um, I'm trying to actually do that right now as we think about how we implement our AI ethics principles and um, looking at how, for example, we would implement them across the AI product lifecycle from end to end. And and by doing that, I can't look at just one piece of the cycle or I can't look at just one tool or just one assessment in isolation. I really need to look at it as a collective sum of parts. And I think a similar approach needs to be applied when we think about uh, laws and regulations around AI, uh, either in the U.S. Or, or globally. So, for example, if we look at privacy, uh, there's no federal privacy regulation in the U.S. And so what happens is, is that you've got this various states doing their own, creating their own laws and regulations. And, and that results basically in this really uh, complex patchwork of different legal re requirements based on your jurisdiction. And for a business, um, I can only imagine the, the, the compliance requirements around that, right? Um, when you're trying to create products and services, and as they go through different state jurisdictions, and that's in that scenario, how, how do you ensure compliance um, assuming that you even have the resources to, and and how does that impact your your business model change? So you can't necessarily create ten different versions for ten different states that have ten different requirements, for example, right? And so thinking through um, the additional downstream impacts as well in terms of not just uh, the technology, the the legal compliance aspects, but perhaps even impacts on on hiring employees and workforce and sort of the whole big economic uh, considerations. Um, and if you take that to a global level, right, I, I think the problem just gets ampli amplified uh, even more so when we think about, you know, maybe GDPR, for example, um, and other countries that have their own spe specific uh, regulations. So uh, the challenge becomes quite complex. Um, with the with AI, I will say that um, there's aspects of it from a technology perspective, and then there's also aspects of, of some broader issues and considerations. So, so obviously, privacy impacts uh, the AI regulation, I would, I, would, I would suggest, in the sense that um, the state privacy regulations would come into play as you think about how data is collected and how it's used. Um, and so having sort of that patchwork framework um, isn't isn't necessarily the most uh, desirable one, um, and and sort of the concerns down that line also uh, could apply to perhaps T and E requirements. So as you test and evaluate these requirements, as you think about um, auditing the technologies, as you think about the certification considerations that are that are being put out there, I think um, trying to be able to look at all of those aspects uh, from a holistic approach is necessary from the technology side. But there's also other considerations when you think about uh, laws and regulations related to AI. I think thinking through export control considerations, I think thinking through intellectual property rights, 
uh, especially when, uh, from my lens, when I'm thinking about responsible AI and, and um, uh, thinking about how that comes into practice, I want transparency and line of sight into perhaps specific business processes or decision-making processes that occurred uh, during the development of a technology. And that could, could really um, be conflicted with uh, organizations wanting to protect their competitive advantage with, with retaining certain intellectual property rights. So I think that's a whole uh, other conversation. Um, but also thinking about governance and oversight um, in terms of any kind of legal uh, or, or regulatory uh, requirements around AI and or incentive structures. So how do you build the right incentive structures into um, uh, into uh, requirements or regulations, I should say. So um, I know I kind of just shared a couple of random thoughts all across the board there, but I think when it comes to the legal and regulatory aspects, I think um, recognition that uh, with any kind of AI law or regulatory requirement, it isn't just about the technology. Uh, there needs to be a way to find a balance to all of these pieces uh, while ensuring that the approach is integrated and coordinated so we don't end up with sort of a, a jurisdictional patchwork of, of varying uh, parameters. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's something we are we are definitely keeping a very close eye on. You know, especially moving into 2021, we're we're doing a big update of the of the report. And part of it is as you were uh implying, uh, the thing about AI is it's actually not even really one thing even. It's it's a bunch of different things, right? We talk about this a lot with our seven patterns of AI because you have recognition systems and conversation systems and autonomous and predictive analytics and patterns and anomalies and hyperpersonalization and goal-driven systems. And, you know, these things are really not the same. I mean, like, even though, yes, they're all using machine learning perhaps in different forms and they're all different aspects of intelligence, they're not all doing the same thing. And as a result, the, the sort of the laws and regulatory frameworks are not the same. You have some things that deal with data privacy, which aren't even necessarily even AI and machine learning specific, but they are definitely AI and machine learning relevant. And then you have other things like do do you want to use facial recognition and in what context? Do we allow do are we how do we uh, approach the idea of algorithmic decision making, which is also maybe not even specific to AI and machine learning, but is highly relevant? Do we want machines in charge of making decisions where there may not necessarily be a path to explainability all the time? Or it may be not very clear uh, what that path is. And so, you know, in this report, we cover like these nine different uh, areas of regulations, everything from lethal autonomous weapons, which is a whole, there are laws and regulations now that are coming out about this, to the use of uh, algorithmic decision making and uh, um, you know, con you know there's some laws coming out now about the use of bots, chatbots, and liability around that. So I think par that's I think part of the reason why it's not necessarily um, the wait and see part. It's that uh, there's so many different uh, aspects that we haven't even we don't even really know fully what the implications might be of the use of this technology in all those different ways. So we, we are definitely keeping a close eye on it, and I'm, as I'm sure you are <laughs> as part of your Right, role. And, and, you, and you said it so eloquently, right, um, Ron? Maybe I should be asking you the questions here. <laughs> but, um, you, <laughs> um, but you know, you're spot on, right? I think it's so complex and the interdependencies. There's so many interdependencies, and we may not even be recognizing all the interdependencies at this point. Um, and, and I will say just real briefly is that uh, as I even think about policy, right, at, at the Jake in, in terms of how we implement, that is one of those challenges because the policy isn't 
for example, limited to the technology, but there's aspects around um, uh, human capital and, and training and education. And then there's acquisition implications. Um, and there's so many sort of moving parts. And, and how do you create that framework that um, achieves the goal you're trying to achieve in a manner that will be effective? And, and one of my concerns always is like, I don't want to create policy in a vacuum where uh, one, either people don't understand it, two, it's, it's it's too overwhelming and, and it just gets stuck in a binder on someone's shelf. And, and so how do I avoid it, but still make meaningful uh, progress to actually um, providing uh, um, guidance in terms of how we need to be thinking about this holistically. And I will say that where I've landed is that we're really trying to take a uh, top down, bottoms up approach where we're really trying to focus on having centralized alignment. So how at the enterprise level can we have centralized alignment across a number of different pillars um, from, from the engineering best practices around the principles to the training aspects, uh, to the governance aspects, the oversight aspect? Uh, how do we, how do we create for that, uh, enterprise organizational infrastructure at a centralized level that provides the necessary framework? but then allow for decentralized autonomy. So, for example, the services who have their own existing structures and processes and various uh, resources, how can they have the flexibility uh, to do what they need to within their own structure? So um, just sort of wanted to, to share that as well, because I think, uh, you know, the, the law and regulatory aspects are, are complex for all the reasons that you said, and, and we're seeing that too as we also try to just uh, create policy around this as well. Exactly. And, and it is a challenge. So um, moving on to our next question here about thinking about, you know, the, the rest of the, the world and the ecosystem around AI and really thinking about the private sector, um, you know, and, and really the question is, you know, how can the private and public sector work together in their efforts around ethical and responsible AI? And we're seeing a lot more of this sort of um, collision, if you will, between what's happening in the private sector and what's happening in the government sector, especially around around some of these issues. You know, we're, we're seeing right now uh, comments about social media and so the impact that has on the public sphere and the amount of control that public sector, uh, sorry, private sector companies have, and which is interesting. Um, but then, of course, there's an interaction between the private world. So maybe you can talk a little bit about about how sort of the private and public sphere are working together? Yeah, no, that's a great question and a great point. Um, so I will say that um, if I take it for a moment from the lens of um, the AI ethics conversation and responsible AI, uh, I will say that uh, we've been engaging with the, with the private sector quite a bit. And one of our learnings is that uh, we're all grappling with the same kind of questions and the same kind of challenges. Uh, it's not clear that either sector necessarily has, has figured it out. Uh, I think we're really fairly early in, in the nascent stages of um, trying to, to really identify all those interdependencies that we were just talking about, identify all of sort of the moving pieces and um, downstream effects. And um, we're also realizing that one size doesn't fit all, right, in, in a number of different contexts. So um, no one's really figured it all out. One size doesn't fit all. And what's really required to get at this, this, this issue is an interdisciplinary approach and a collaborative approach. Uh, and so 
what we what we what we advocate for is finding ways to collaborate in in meaningful uh, in a meaningful manner. And so we recognize that there are um, uh, advantages or, or there are there are uh, values or maybe values probably not the right com- right right word when we're talking about AIS because I don't want to confuse a couple of different conversations. But there are um, there are assets that uh, the private sector bring to the to the conversation, as does the public sector. And so, um, how can we encourage more of that collaboration to really uh, fuel what we need to in in the bigger AI ecosystem that we're trying to to address? So, for example, um, are there ways to collaborate on research efforts? Uh, are there ways to identify, uh, for example, what does testing and evaluation need to look like, or what is what is what are different practices or standards around um, the technical aspects? Um, are there ways to collaborate around um, just even getting common language, really, right? Uh, maybe the basics. Maybe we start there in terms of a foundation of are we even speaking the same language, even though we might be using the same words, um, before we can get to the, the next step of, of collaborating. Um, but I think, too, uh, for the collaboration, there, there's got to there's be an, an openness um, and sort of... Um, a recognition that each each sector has an influence on the other in different ways. And so um, the fact is that we need to come together to really get it right in terms of having the conversations, um, leveraging each area's expertise, uh, bringing diverse voices and diverse backgrounds to the table, um, recognizing that there are um, other dynamics behind behind. Uh, behind all of this and so how do we how do we kind of again have all these various pieces at the table and and um, collaborate in a meaningful way and I think um, there are different ways to do that in the sense that um, there could be a research focus there could be a uh, data focus you know um, uh, in terms of perhaps uh, opportunities to, to engage where they're they're uh, is access to data and there is access to a business problem and the expertise necessary to help solve that problem. Um, I think there's opportunities for even collaboration on talent exchanges, right? So um, bringing folks, actually doing exchanges both ways, private to public, public to private, um, I think speaks to increasing the learning and the awareness of, of how each sector operates. Um, which can then actually yield uh, more meaningful results in terms of uh, perhaps development on the commercial side of technologies that could then be procured and utilized uh, in, in, in government. And so I think the, the talent piece is a big one uh, for sure in terms of the exchanges, also the pipeline uh, aspect. Um, I think there's opportunity for, for training and education collaboration in the aspect of um, you know, academia, and I know we academia wasn't necessarily in, in a specific um, part of the question, but but perhaps using the research from academia, having uh, the industry, the private sector, uh, perhaps using that research to become applied research, uh, and then using all of that information to really train and educate uh, across all of these different areas. So I think those um, are, are some ideas for how uh, the collaboration could occur because I think it's really important to create a, this larger innovative ecosystem and we do that collectively um, uh, around that. And I think, again, from a literacy, I, I talk about responsible AI literacy, I think 
by collaborating together, we can actually increase the speed of responsible AI literacy. So everyone is thinking about this and we're thinking about it early and we're thinking about it often. Um, I think from an interoperability perspective too, uh, not only just from a technology perspective, but understanding that um, as we work together, that we are on, on the shared, on the same page in terms of common practices and standards so that when we do uh, receive technology, we have a, a um, an understanding of the fidelity around how that technology was actually designed or developed. Um, and so I think uh, that collaboration is, is really critical for advancing uh, some of those areas. Yeah, you know, I know that you have um, a background mostly in the private sector, but now you've been working in the public sector for almost a year. And so I thought it was really important that we ask this question. Ron and I are also hosts of the, and run the monthly AI and government meetup. And so for folks that are interested, you can go to AIandgovernment.com or you can check out the Cognolytica page and there's details for that event as well. As always, it's free to attend. We run it monthly, typically the third Thursday of the month. So listeners, you're, you're welcome to attend. Um, and without fail, just about at every single event that we have, that question gets up about how public and private sector can work together. So I always like to ask guests um, who have, you know, been working in the public sector, how you can do that. Because I think, especially when it comes to artificial intelligence, there's companies in this space that may not traditionally work with governments. And so, you know, how can we continue to educate the market and collaborate so that some of those smaller companies are able to bring their knowledge and expertise and products and services into the government uh, sector. So uh, it's it's always important to be talking about that. So thank you for that answer on there. Now, as a final note, and we like to ask every single guest this question because we always get a very varied response. And I, I always love to hear what guests have to say. What do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to organizations, governments, and beyond? Um, so I, I think in response to that question, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Um, uh, I would go back to the word uh, transformation uh, that I shared in terms of uh, Lieutenant General Grillen's sort of mission and vision for, for the Jake. Uh, so AI, as we know, has the potential and is, is actually transforming everything around us from, from the way we learn, from the way we live to the way we work. Um, and it's sort of creating this, this new normal um, I think it's going to, when we think about the future, I think it's going to force us as individuals to really think and act differently uh, in terms of um, being more problem solvers, right? Being more curious, having a growth mindset where we are uh, learning, forced to learn, and uh, even after we're done with our, our formal education, but forced to learn, um, receive feedback uh, in terms of uh, performance of the system, for example, and, and then iterate on it. So having sort of that growth mindset uh, throughout your entire career, regardless of your roles. Uh, so I'm not just talking about um, uh, this being a requirement for the technologists who are building the technology, but I, but I think this applies to everyone in, in any functional area within an organization and, of course, in, in your own individual lives. Um, I think it this also requires us to think about how we break silos uh, within organizations and, and really create a new culture that encourages and supports diversity of voices and, and subject matter expertise at the table from, from decision-making to development of the technology, uh, one that prioritizes uh, safety with, with checks and balances and oversight and, oversight and accountability and 
and um, uh, requires collaboration, just like we talked about collaboration across disciplines and sectors and borders and new ways of collaboration. And the one that I didn't mention that that I will just highlight, uh, Kathleen, to, you, to your last comment, is that uh, bringing new companies or, or non-traditional companies that haven't worked with government before is is actually critical for our success. And on the acquisition side, we at the JFR are working on trying to uh, modify, change, create a new acquisition process and or a vehicle so that we can bring those non-traditionals to the table. So we have the diversity in terms of um, expertise, in terms of uh, organizational size and so forth. And so um, we want to encourage startups and others to, to engage with us because, again, that that is really where the magic happens. Um, I will say, though, with anything new, there's always going to be risks. And um, to add to it, AI, the challenge with AI is that it's dynamic, right? It's dynamic and, and you've got this non-deterministic nature around it. So the risks associated with it aren't static uh, in, re- in regards to scope or time. Um, and so when we think about the future of AI, I would say that it's incumbent on us as individuals and, again, as organizations, regardless of whether it's, it's private or public, uh, and regardless of whether we're just talking U.S. or global, uh, that we need to be aware and, and diligent. And um, I think that if we don't address, for example, uh, issues like the digital divide, it will only act to uh, exasperate an AI divide. And so it really comes down to educating everyone about AI, uh, thinking through the, educating them on the uncertainty and educating them on the risks. Uh, the inability to anticipate every unintended consequence or perhaps nefarious use. And I'm not, again, just talking about this is not just for technologists. This is really for for everyone um, that they need to have a baseline understanding in regards to this technology, how it works, so that they can be informed and engaged. And we need to recognize that with this technology, there are these power dynamics um, associated with the creation and use of them as well as incentive structures that that need to also come into the conversation and and so much more, frankly. Um, And I know not to steal a a phrase from my uh, data colleagues and and one that's that's commonly used about data being a first-class citizen, but I really think uh, with the future of AI, responsible AI has to become a first-class citizen. Um, It's really about ensuring that the ethics and the values are at the forefront when we think about AI uh, for creating the future that we want, uh, for the future for ourselves, for the future for our society uh, and humanity uh, uh, globally. Yeah, I think that's great. Well, that that's why we asked that question, because we get such different feedback. You know, we're well over 170 episodes now of AI Today podcast, and we've asked that question pretty much on every podcast, well, well, where we've had guests, of course, because Kathleen and I, we also <laughs> record podcasts about other topics and our research and things like that, where we could ask ourselves that question. But it's always great to get uh, that this feedback, and it's, and it's nice because we get this diversity of opinion, and we get this insight. Some people talk about all sorts of things when they think about the future of AI. So uh, I really wanted to thank uh, Alka Patel so much for joining us on this podcast and sharing these insights. And for those that are interested in hearing more, actually Alka was a panelist during the Data for AI conference that we had September 24th through 28th 2020, which is uh, still available for those who are listening at dataaiconf.com, although we keep these sessions up for about three months. So it's kind of, if you're interested in listening to that 
and you hear this before around uh, the first week or so in December, please do check that out now while those replays are still available. We always try to do that before the next event so that way we can keep the content fresh. Uh, but anyway, check it out. She was on the panel, uh, The Ethical Side of Data Use, such a government perspective. Um, and so you can hear more thoughts. We had some pan- and we had questions from the audience as well. So it's really, really great to, to get that feedback. Uh, we do have another event coming up for our listeners if you're interested in attending. All of our events are always free to attend. They're, of course, virtual conferences in this remote world that we're living in these days. Uh, it's the Machine Learning Lifecycle uh, for AI event. That is January 26th through 28th. That's when the live portions of the event are. As usual, everything is available on recording, and we do keep those recordings up for a while. You can go to mllifecycleconf.com, and you can see there, register, and as mentioned, it's free. And um, I think, you know, we'd love to get your feedback. We had thousands of attendees uh, registered for the previous one, and we're expecting a nice large crowd for this as well. So anyway, uh, I just wanted to, I know this podcast is pretty long, and I think it's great. You know, uh, hopefully you're all getting a lot of insight from this. So I wanted to thank uh, our guests and for having us, and listeners, we hope you got a lot of value from Alka. So thank you so much for joining us on this podcast, Alka. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Kathleen. I appreciate you having me here and uh, appreciate the opportunity to be on that panel as well. It was um, it was it was uh, much appreciated and uh, really an engaging conversation. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. And listeners, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes, including a link to Alka's panel during the Data for AI Week, and we'll also link um, a registration for the ML Lifecycle for AI so that you can register for that event for free and also see the uh, lineup that we have, which changes daily. So I encourage you to check it out. We're continuing to add new speakers. So thank you for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. <laughs>